John chapter 1, and I'll start from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one who I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. When you go to a new country, you have to enter passport security. Let's not talk about that going into Sweden. I cannot help you, said a very stern lady as I was in the wrong queue. But uh, when you go into a new country, there's always a strange introduction. There are images that you find. There are comments that are made. So you go to the Eurotunnel because you're going to pop out under the channel. You're going to France. And there's these lovely images as you go into the, the toilets of black images, black and white photos of famous things, what you see in France. So there is the Eiffel Tower. There is Chabal, the wonderful French masculine uh, rugby player that is unmatched. There is a bicycle. There is a baguette. Honestly, they're there. I'm not being uh, anything uh, untoward. But there are traditional French images that you see to prepare you for what will come into existence as you go into France. They're lovely tree-lined poplar trees or uh, elm trees covering roads for miles and miles. And and then there are hundreds of cyclists and there's the odd Citroën 2CV and, and there's glories to be seen in France as you enjoy wine and cheese. And that's just at Calais. And then if you come into Heathrow, like I did just this Friday, there's uh, traditional pictures saying, welcome. And there's a lady, police officer, saying, welcome. There's a, a beef eater. You don't see any of these in Birmingham or Scotland or Wales. But there they are at Heathrow saying, um, with a black taxi cab driver. And a picture of Big Ben and the the Ferris wheel, the Millennium Wheel. It's all London-centric images saying, if you come into our country, if you get through the stern-looking men and women at Passport Control, then this is what you're going to see. Now, the Apostle John does just the same thing. In chapter 1 of his Gospel, verses 1 to 18, he takes you by the hand in the prologue and say, I want to show you some sights that you're going to see through this marvellous book. 
but I don't want you to enter into a country. I want you to enter into a new creation. And I don't just want you to see sights and sounds and experience tastes and flavors. I want you to meet a person. And it's there in chapter 1, verse 1. These 18 sentences that we're going to look at over the next three weeks, I'm fighting against every instinct in my body, which is normally big picture, let's get perspective, top down. I'm going to go really slow for three weeks, and we're going to look at 18 sentences. And there are three groups in these sentences. They're on the screen behind me. In verses 1 to 4 that we look at this morning, there's a claim. There's a radical claim about the person who is the word. Verses 5 to 11, there's the rejection of the claim of this person. And 12 to 14, if not 12 to 18, shows answers to the objection. So you have a claim, a rejection, and some uh, objections answer to that claim. And as we meet this theme, and this theme who is actually a person, one of the interesting things that I've been thinking about is who's written this gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar Matthew and Luke have the early years of Jesus' life, his birth. Mark is punchy, written to Gentiles. It's concise. There's lots of immediately, and then it happened, and then there's John. John is different, but think about who John is. John is the closest friend on earth that Jesus ever had. When there was a party that Jesus was hosting, it was John who would be next to Jesus, who laid his head on his chest, who was closest to his heart, physically, literally. And the majesty of Jesus Christ, who is the Word, is described by his best friend. Now that's remarkable to me. As someone who lived with Jesus for three years, and yet he writes these words, having laid on his chest, having ate with him and drank with him and heard the sound of his voice and the smell of his breath. He was that close to Jesus, and yet he chooses to write these words. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Two points, reason and author. The Word is the reason for life. The Word is also the author of life. Number one, the Word is the reason for life. Now, Rooted, this is for you really. I, I looked on Black Friday for very few things. But one of the things I looked of, looked for just for uh, an illustration's sake was a coffee machine. Uh, here it is. Here's the coffee machine. Now, this coffee machine uh, is better on high definition. You have a better image at home, I hope. Costs 8,000 pounds. Now, just let that sink in. Uh, I did not buy it. I did not use the church credit card on it. The one we have is doing a fine job. Long may it last. But just imagine you go into a friend's home, and uh, their mum or dad has bought this coffee machine. And yet the coffee machine is not plugged into the wall, not to save energy, but the coffee machine that cost 8,000 pounds is used to keep a door open. Now, if you knew how much this cost, you might raise an eyebrow. You might raise concern because the coffee machine is not being used as the maker intended. It's not being used for its purpose. It's not being used for its design. It's not being used for its logos. Now, this word that's used by John in the first few sentences has massive amounts of significance to the people who would have heard from the lips of Jesus, his great claims, who heard his teaching and who read what John wrote. You cannot understand the coffee machine is made for unless you read the manual. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot see how it was designed unless you understand who made it. 
And so if you see an £8,000 coffee machine being used as a doorstop, you should raise an eyebrow. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here is John, and he chooses to use a word in Greek, which is logos, that sounds very fancy. And every time you read the word word in the first few sentences, you could hear John deliberately choose a word that perks up the interest of every Greek and Jewish listener who will ever read and hear these sentences. He deliberately chooses a word for Greek ears to pop up like a rabbit's ears on on alert Because the Greek philosophers, the thinkers of the time, were wrestling with this question that you and I wrestle with as well when we get to 42 and thereabouts, which is, why am I here? What's life all about? What's the purpose? What's the goal? How do I understand how I fit in this strange, complex, sad, disappointing, and joy-giving world? Where do I fit in? And the Greek philosophers who always scratched their heads and who always had beards... They looked at nature and they saw harmony. They looked at nature and they saw a beautiful design. They looked at nature and they saw an orderliness to it and a balance to it. And they wrestled with what they saw and they, they scratched their heads again and again. And they sought to think through how does life work? By the time John was writing this book, this gospel of the life of Jesus, the early church were beginning to split. And it wasn't just the church that were beginning to split. It was the Greek philosophers that were dividing as well as they wrestled with the great question of life is, what is life about? What am I here for? Is there a maker in the world? Why does the world look as beautiful does it, that it does? But why is there so much suffering and decay? And there's these two great big groups, the, the Epicureans. The Epicureans were saying, we don't know how the word works. The world works. So this is our best guess. This world exists for our happiness. My purpose in life is to find out how I can gain joy. If it feels good, do it. That was not Nike who wrote it. Really, that was the Epicureans. They were saying, I'm here to enjoy life. I'm here to make my heart sing. I'm here to live for pleasure and have a good time. I'm here to party. That was the Epicureans. Then there's the Stoics saying, no, Epicureans, you got it all wrong. The Stoics were saying, we don't know how life works either. We don't know the purpose for life. So here's our best effort. Here's our best guess. Let's live a life of virtue. Let's live a life above our passions. The Epicureans are wrong. Let's live life, said the Stoics, where let's live for virtue. Let's live for character. Let's be moral and generous. Let's make up our own moral understanding of the world because it's the best we can do because we don't know the answer to the meaning of life. Now, these old groups are actually very modern, aren't they? Let's live life for pleasure. Who's not lived life like that? Who's not made their own moral compass, their own moral understanding of the world? Let's live for virtue. Let's be people who are better than, than them, whoever they are. And let's use Twitter to prove it. That's why it's so impolite, isn't it, to bring up Christianity at a Christmas party that are coming up in the next few weeks. Because we don't know the answer left to our own devices of why we're here. We don't know what we're living for. We don't know a true source of lasting joy and, and hope is in very short supply. And it's the same question that every generation struggles with. And it's the same issue that the Greeks were struggling with back in the first century. And so when John says, I've got a new idea, 
in the beginning was the word. The Greeks would say, hang on. Are you claiming to have an answer for what we've been wrestling with all our lives? And that's just the Greeks. In the beginning was the word. It's a truth bomb that John throws in like a hand grenade into the confusion of Greek thinking, of Greek philosophy, and says, you don't need to be confused anymore about the meaning for life because here it is. In the beginning was the logos, the meaning of life. In the beginning was the word. And that's just the Greeks. Shakespeare, he would say, well, I'm not quite a philosopher, but I'm pretty good with words. And so he says this, tale, history is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And John says, in the beginning was the word. And then he frames his gospel with chapter 20, verse 31, saying, My sole purpose in writing these sentences about the life and person of the Word, who is Jesus Christ, is this. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to introduce you to not a foreign land, but a new creation. And I want to introduce you to a new person. And his name is the Word, who is the Logos, and I'm going to show you that his name is Jesus. Notice verse 2, how he is a person. This is not pie in the sky when you die. This is not just thinking for thinking's sake. John says, I want to introduce you to the meaning of life. In verse 2, he I want to introduce you to a person. That's just the Greeks. Now the Jews, the Jews were... The Jews were listening in as well, and John is writing for Greek thinkers and Jewish believers as well. Now, how would the Jews hear this sentence? In the beginning was the word. Now, just imagine you are going to a classical music concert, and it's promoted as something new and something dynamic and something creative. And they say, you've never heard this before. And then someone strikes up, the conductor gets his baton up, and then they start off with these great notes. dun 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 and you start thinking, hang on, that's not new. I've heard that before. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Haven't I heard this before, says the Jewish person? That's just the point I want you to make, says John as he writes. Now, now there's a wonderful uh, picture that I saw this week. A photo mosaic. We can live life with our head in the sand as well. But uh, <laughs> that's a great picture. There's another picture that's going to come up now of a photo mosaic of a baby's face. I don't know if you've seen this, but this week when I was with Ben and Emily over in Sweden, last time I'll say it, until next time, they've got a lovely picture of their wedding day. And Ben, being far more creative than me, has constructed this photo mosaic of their wedding day with pictures from their wedding day, if that makes sense. So there's light and darkness that's created with individual photos that makes one big photo. It's absolutely brilliant. It took him ages. Now here's a baby's face and it's made from hundreds and hundreds of photos of babies' faces. 
Now with John, as he writes these first 18 sentences, it's like a mosaic, not of faces, but of pictures of Jesus, the word of God that the Old Testament has prepared us for. So if you're a Greek person, your ears are pricked up by the logos. If you're a Jewish person, a Jewish reader who knew the Old Testament, your ears are pricked up and your eyes are opened as John goes to work by saying, in the beginning was the word. This is not creation first time. This is God doing something new and even better and greater. And it's in the beginning is a new creation under the authority of King Jesus. What do I mean? In the Psalms, you would have the first piece of the mosaic, the word of God. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts are the breath of his mouth. Through creation, God spoke a word, a dynamic word, as the uh, Spirit of God hovered over the darkness and there was nothing, then there was everything. And it was beautiful and it was creative and it was ordered and it was glorious and it's sustained by the word of God still today. In the uh, Proverbs, in the wisdom literature, right in the middle of the Bible, you've got a personification of the wisdom of God, Lady Wisdom, Proverbs chapter 8, who does the will of God as the word of God. And then you get to the prophets, just one, indulge me, chapter 40 to 55 of the book of Isaiah, the central section of the book of Isaiah that is one book, just as a passing comment. You have framed in the book of Isaiah this theme of the word. So chapter 40, all flesh is like flowers in the fading field, but by comparison, the word of God will stand forever. You've got the, the will of man and the purposes of man and the word of man and it perishes. And then you've got the word of God. That's the start of that section. That's Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 55 is a great contrast as that, that central section is framed in the prophecy of Isaiah comparing the word of man with the word of God. And what will the word of God accomplish? Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11. God says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it there will be peace through my word the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you the trees of the field will clap their hands instead of thornbush will grow the pine tree and instead of briars the myrtle will grow this will be the Lord's renown I'm going to do something through my word and it's going to restore the curse Thorns will be no more. Decay will be a distant memory. I'm going to do something so new and powerful and glorious that my glory will be seen and it will be accomplished through my word. And how is, and what does the word look like? In the middle of chapter 40 to 55 is this image of a suffering servant. The very word of God who spoke the world into being but who will hang upon a cruel cross. The word of God, the Lord's renown will be established by a suffering servant in the most paradoxical of ways. It's about new covenant, new life, and a restoring of all things gloriously new under the authority of the word of God. The Psalms, the prophets, all speak his name because the gospel is about glory, the glory of God revealed in the person of God that God may be known and understood through the person of his son, his very intimate self-revelation. How is all of that going to be done? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Well, it's to know him. It's to belong to him. 
is to come under the loving authority of King Jesus, the very word of God, and have life in his name by believing in him. And that's the first clause. It's the meaning for life. He's also the author of life. Better hit the accelerator a little bit. The author of life. Now let's look at these first four verses more carefully and closely. We could spend five years on these, as you are beginning to sense, I guess. But look at these things, three quick things about the Word of God. Who is Jesus as the author of life? What do we learn about the Word from these first four sentences? Look at how the Word is in relation to God himself. In the beginning was the Word. He is self-existent. And the Word was with God. And yet he is with God. Third clause, and yet, just in case you missed it, the word was God. The word was God in the beginning. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. John does this thing of, of negation, of redundancy, just so you don't miss the point. You need to look out for that through the gospel. From the Old Testament, we've seen that Jesus, the word of God, is the very self-expression of God. Proverbs chapter 9. And yet John will show us that this is not just a concept. This is a person, verse 2, he, that Jesus was toward God in the Trinity from the eternity past. And yet he's toward God in love. And so John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He was toward God, but Jesus, the word of God, is going to do something under the authority of his father from planning from eternity past to bring people toward his father for his glory's sake. God so loved the world that he gave. The word was with God toward him and not toward everybody else. So the word of God was toward the father and toward the spirit. The fancy word is perichoresis. The, the divine dance, the enjoyment of God, self-existence, not needing anything outside of creation, and yet all of creation is a reflection of their glory and sustained by a word of authority and creative power. So the word is toward the Father from all eternity, and yet the word's mission in John chapter 13 to 17, those four chapters at the end, Jesus says this, I will go out Having been toward you from eternity past, I will go out and I will not come back void. I will go out and I will do what you purpose for your glory. I've accomplished the work you gave me to do now, Father, and I'm returning to you. So he's toward the Father from all eternity. He turns from the Father and goes from heaven to earth. And then he completes his work of salvation and he returns back to the Father, having accomplished everything that the Father wanted him to do. It's mission accomplished. And now we just get a glimpse into the mission. And at the end of the gospel, you get a sense of mission accomplished. Back to the Father. What about the word and creation? The word and creation. Now, this is not Moana. In Moana, there is a, a demigod. They asked me to model for him, but I, no, not really. There is a demigod who just says, you're welcome. I don't appreciate the way you laughed so much, but I'm working on it. There's a demigod. It's like a, a half-caffeinated God that The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, does the voice for and you're welcome and that sort of stuff. But look at these verses here. This is not the Word who is a half-caffeinated God. The Word is fully God. 
The word is fully God. This is a person who is never created. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. See that negation? He could have just said, through him, all things were made. Full stop. Just in case you miss it, that means, by consequence, without him, nothing was made that has been made. That means everything that has a beginning, everything that has a heartbeat and a pulse, was made because of him. He is the only person in existence and time and history on whom everything else is dependent. The word made flesh is the one who made the world. Now just let that sink in. Verse 4, in him was life. He is the only uncreated one and yet everything that is created is dependent and exists because of him. It's not that life got better because of him. It's not just we got a bit more life because of his word. Everything only exists because of him and nothing exists without him. He's the source of life. Verse 4, the light of God's truth to the world. And verse 3, uh, thirdly rather, notice his, his own self-understanding, his own self-disclosure, his own nature. Verse 2, we've seen the, the word he Jesus, the word, is not a force. It's not Star Wars. He, he's a person. Down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's very clear. And we've seen his glory. Or over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Everything exists for him and through him and because of him. So let's think about ladders and mountaineering. Christianity is different because it's not a religion. It's a revelation. You can spend all your years climbing ladders when actually what we need is a bridge from heaven to earth. We cannot climb from earth to heaven. We cannot get on our mountaineering equipment of self-confidence and energy and doing good and thinking that we can get enough credit to please God. It never works. Christianity is not a religion. John is saying, I want to record to you the revelation of God in the person of his son who's the word of God it's a record of God's revelation of himself to his world and that makes Christianity unique look at sentence 18 please in order to make this point John says this no man has ever seen God God is veiled for two reasons his otherness his holy perfection and majestic glory and our sin we are not searching for God. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Christianity is a revelation of God's nature and a rescue plan to the world. We cannot seek him unless he reveals himself to us. We will never see him. And so John is an enemy of anyone who says Christianity is a leap in the dark of faith. No, it's not. It's God's revelation of his son to us who we've seen and heard and touched and can trust. Verse 18, you cannot see the unseen God by your own efforts, but he is perfectly revealed in the person of his son. And you can fully know God who is unseen and unknowable in our own efforts through the person, Jesus Christ, the word of God. And that's why he's called the word of God. Another factor is he's the word who is truth. He's the word of sustaining power. He's the word who gives us a compass in our lives so we know who we are because of him. 
in the modern world, isn't it true rooted that that truth is like clay? You know, here's a lump of clay. You get it thrown at you and you put it on the, uh, the wheel in front of you and you press the pedal and you get water and you get absolutely caked and you can make that clay into whatever you want. And if it's a bit rubbish, you can take it off and give it to someone else and they can have another go. Truth is pliable. Truth is not pliable in God's world. Truth is not pliable in God's economy. And here is John who says, Jesus Christ, the word of God, verse 3, is the truth. He's the author Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He's the author, which means he can speak with authority. Now imagine you're in a book club. Imagine you're in a book club. You choose the book in your imagination, but you're there sitting around the table with something nice to drink, and you're studying it. And, and, and the question says, so what do you think the author meant when they wrote this? Well, I think this, and I think that. No, no, I think you're wrong, but I like that. It's kind of passive-aggressive. I think it means this. That's great, says the person who asked the question, then you move on, and then in comes the author. What are you talking about? No, I didn't mean that when I wrote it. I wrote it 20 years ago, and I meant this. How can you say that? Because I wrote it. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He was with God in the beginning. He's the author which means he has authority. And Jesus is just getting revealed and John is just getting started. He's the author of your life. Very few times in the Gospels do you hear God's voice audibly spoken from or heard from the heavens. It's only three times. The central time is at the, the transfiguration where God's glory is revealed to Jesus and a couple of friends and he says, here is my son. Listen to him. Why should we listen to you? Because he's the author of life. Because he's truth, true truth. And he's life-giving truth. Jesus Christ has come to the world. And John says, I want to introduce you to what he did and who he is and how old he is and what he said. Because left to ourselves, we will never find God. And left to ourselves, we do not want to listen to him. And there's no more important thing. So who are you going to believe as we close? How are you going to decide how to use your sexual capacity? I thought I'd say that just to wake you up. Who are you going to, how are you going to decide how to use your sexual capacity? How are you going to decide how to uh, come to a mind of what you think about sexuality and gender and identity in a very confused modern world? No one has the right to tell me who I should be. I can identify how I want to. It's a very complex situation that we need to speak kindly and carefully and courageously on. But here we have the author who speaks infallibly and clearly and carefully. We do not make the rules, although we're doing our very best to prove it. God has spoken and he's spoken in his son. And in one sentence he opens the gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So let me ask you, is he your logos? Is he your logos? As you look in the mirror, what are you living for? Who are you worshipping? Who is the authority to your life? Is he your logos? Is the glory and honor of Jesus your chief aim? 
or is it your own? Are his priorities your greatest priorities? Because if he's not, you will have to manufacture your own logos, your own meaning for life. And it will be self and self sags. It will be relationships and relationships end. It will be pleasure and that's harder and harder to find. So let me ask you, who are you living for? Verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of men. Here we have Jesus revealed as the very word of God and he is the reason for living and he is the authority for living. In the beginning, the very beginning, creation, not the new creation, but the first creation. Man stole a fruit from a tree. But the great news of the gospel that we're going to see in the coming months is this, that the author of life, the author and sustainer of life was nailed to a tree and he made a tree of curse into a tree of life. And he did it for me and he did it for you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In him was life and that life was the light of men.